Good morning. Hey, thanks to Chris and others that led last week when we were in that terrible place like Colorado where it was cool. It was so terrible to be there. I, I just uh, <clears throat> I told Becky, let's go home. But uh, that's a lie. <clears throat> anyway, turn in your Bibles to John 15. John 15. And we are continuing in our study of these conversations with Jesus. John 15. I've titled this a particular, uh, uh, two weeks ago, I, I just didn't get finished, and so I'm trying to kind of cover up some material here, uh, that uh, <clears throat> these instructions to joy. Notice uh, down here in John 15, and I told Becky the other day, I was uh, having to kind of pull some things together, but you know, sometimes the, the biblical text makes you deal with what's there. You know, it'd be nice if you could say, well, we'll just forget about that. But notice what Jesus says in verse 11 of John 15. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. These things, now that demonstrative pronoun there, <clears throat> these refers to at least, I'm going to suggest, verses 1 to 10. These things. <clears throat> now it's possible uh, this could be kind of a summary statement that Jesus is making that goes all the way back to 14. Or actually 13 where this whole incident of the upper room begins in chapter 13. Uh, regardless of where we think it starts, it ends here, or this statement is made as a sort of a summary a kind of statement. He says, these things I've said to you. Well, that begs the question then to know what? What are these things, <clears throat> right? Yeah, what are these things? What are these things that lead to joy? Now, let me uh, suggest uh, a couple of things. One is I call this the instructions to joy. The instructions. Uh, it seems like to me that, uh, I'll show you a couple of pictures here in a minute, that uh, we uh, live in a time when uh, everybody needs instructions. These are literally from Forbes magazine, so I didn't make these up. I I'm thinking these are not true, but they are. Nitol, it's a sleep additive, and what may it cause? Yeah, this is, a, this is an instruction on the side of it. It may cause drowsiness. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, <clears throat> you know, you think... Do we really need those instructions? <laughs> you know, but apparently, as human beings, we do. Uh, here's another one. This is on a chainsaw. <clears throat> Seems sort of self-evident to me, but you know, maybe people need uh, that instruction. Uh, perhaps. Uh, but we, we seem to be people that need instructions. Uh, I saw one the other day, uh, or, or read one that said about a hairdryer is do not use while you're asleep. Now, I'll admit, my hair looks like that. <laughs> Here's another one. This is a vanishing fabric marker. These are the things on there. The vanishing fabric marker should not be used as a writing instrument for signing checks or other legal documents. <clears throat> just the vanishing fabric marker. That just kind of you know, gives you a heads up. Like, don't use this to sign the deed on your house. You know? Yeah. I, uh, this one, I think... Uh, I think this one actually came out of a, my roommate and I in college. Do not put any person in this washer. <clears throat> my roommate from college did this <laughs> on a dare. Um, instructions. It seems like, you know, it, like aren't we smart enough to know? And yet, here I would say Jesus is saying, let me, let me give you some instructions to joy. I, I was laughing. Becky said uh, two weeks ago, if you recall, if you were here, uh, in the middle of uh, teaching, uh, somebody's phone went off. And uh, uh, there was uh, ringing, and then there was talking, and there was laughing. And it sounded like to me it was over here. Because <clears throat> this is my good ear. So I, I, I looked over this way. I, 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 well, no, I, I thought it was this way. And so I looked this way. I always, wherever there's a problem or a racket or something like that, I turn away. I, I just go the other way. I tell my students, if you're teaching or you're speaking and something in the audience bothers you, it's like a virus. It starts bothering everybody, right? So if I hear, so I thought, well, it's over here. I had a, I thought it was probably Everett, but you know, who knows? <laughs> um, and uh, so it, it, it's going, I'm keeping thinking, would somebody turn that phone off? And remember that? Do you hear it? Yeah, I kept hearing it, kept hearing it and I, like this and uh, started uh, looking over that way. And I thought, I'll, I'll just keep going and keep going. Come to find out, it was me. <laughs> <laughs> I figured it out at one point when I looked like this, I could see that I was FaceTiming somebody with my phone. 
A guy in my Bible study on Friday morning, Ben Harvey, he's an eye surgeon. I had texted him that morning for something and forgotten to turn my phone to click it off. And so when it's there, it just touched it in a certain way. It was me. And Ben is saying he can see my shirt. <laughs> and he can hear what I'm talking about. And he's laughing. And I'm thinking later, when I, when I left here, I thought, uh, surely that didn't happen. I mean, I, I, I know more about technology. No, it was me. So uh, I was, but y'all, hey, I was trying to be gracious to Everett because I thought it was him or somebody, you know. So, but uh, I, I need some instructions, if you will, about how to use technology. We all, at times, I think, need instructions. Here I want to walk us through this as quickly as I can about this uh, idea about instruction. Now, Jesus said this. I've written these things to you or said these things to you that you'll have joy and my joy before. Now, I've said to you before, I, the word joy, there are lots of different definitions from the dictionary. But what I see in terms of joy is these instructions to get to joy. I'm, I'm operating on this, that joy is not happiness. Joy is an inner matter. It's the result of having a higher purpose than my circumstances. Joy is the result of having a higher purpose than my circumstances. If our joy is circumstantially driven, we won't have much of it uh, because our circumstances can change in a heartbeat. Joy is that internal reality that God gives us through having a bigger purpose in life than my circumstances because my circumstances may never change. My situation may never change. God may never change it, or I may never be able to change it, or my, my, my friends and family may not be able to. But I can still have joy that comes from Jesus, I think, because I have a life as a higher purpose. Now, I, I, I relate that, if you want to go look at that, in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that said, let us keep our eyes on Jesus, the author or leader and, and completer of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. The joy said, Jesus had a higher purpose. The cross wasn't fun, right? It wasn't going to be enjoyable. It wasn't going to be fun. But he, it said he endured the suffering because of the joy set before him. He could say, there's a bigger purpose here. There's a greater purpose here than that. And I, I want to suggest to you that what Jesus' joy is about living or experiencing at a better purpose. Now, I'm going to run through this because we did this the other day. Number one, I want to say uh, it's instructions for joy is instructions to finding life. If we're going to have joy, we better have some instructions on finding life. And that really is found, in, and we've already dealt with that, in John 15, 1 to 7, where Jesus said, abide in me. Abide in me. The word abide, I said to you, the Greek term is an, an imperative voice, and it means this, stay put. Stay put. Literally, it just to remain, to abide. You know, there are all kinds of things in our culture, in our world that try to pull us away from depending on, relying on, depending on Jesus, aren't there? I mean, you know, Jesus talked about it in different times. I mean, one of the things that, that happens in our world is that money has a tendency to try to pull us away from depending on Jesus. So we depend on what? Money, our resources. I've said to my students, there's nothing in this world that's more godlike than money. Because with it, you can do almost anything. You know, you can buy friends. <laughs> you know, you can have things. I mean, you can't get health. You can't live a fulfilling life. But, but there are all kinds of things in our world that keep pulling us away to not abide or stay put or remain in Jesus, but to find life somewhere else. I've said to you, and I, I, this keeps working in my mind. I, I want to say to you again, that my definition of sin, I mean, I, I know what hamartia means, I know what parabasis means, I know what hamartia, you know, all, but here's what, here's what sin is. Trying to find life somewhere else other than Jesus. That's what it is. All those symptoms, you know, lying, stealing, cheating, all those kind of things, you know, like my dad used to say, we don't cuss and chew or run with the girls who do. We were always looking for those girls, but... <laughs> In the youth group, where are they? We don't, I know we don't run, but where are they? Uh, but trying to find life somewhere else. Trying to find purpose and meaning in life. So everything else is a symptom, folks. I think that in the church, we've, we've been too busy doing symptom management. Trying to, trying to deal with the outgrowth of the, the symptomatic areas of sin. Instead of saying, listen, sin is when I try to find life somewhere else. 
when I find my meaning and my purpose and I find life somewhere else, Jesus is saying here, I'm it. Stay put. Okay, I want to give you a picture. I gave you this a couple weeks ago. But this, this matter of staying put. There's lots of pressure, isn't there? There's lots of things that say, pull us away. Try to find life over here. Get busy over there. Do this. Jesus says, stay put. Stay in me. Abide in me. I, I, I showed you this a couple weeks ago. Uh, did I? Here we go. To me, this is the, the picture of staying put. This is the soldiers at the Tomb of the Unknown, and this is during Hurricane Sandy, and you can see the rain, and, and, and these guys just stay put, right? That, that's the image I want in your mind. You know, it's raining. Yeah, ooh, it's bad. I, I'd rather not be there, you know? But we stay put. When pressure and stress and things come to us and difficulties, we stay put because we believe that Jesus is the source of life. He is the source. You know, it's interesting to me. I don't want to go too far, but it's interesting to me. I would encourage you. I've been doing this study for a couple of years. I would encourage you to look at the times that the word life shows up in Scripture as an antidote, if you will, to sin. In Galatians 3, it says, For if a law, if a law, Paul's talking about, you know, we're, make, we have, we're right with God by faith. If a law could issue forth in life, then righteousness would be by the law. What did it say? If, if the law issued forth in what? Life. Jesus said in John 10, What I've come that you might be forgiven. Right? Is that what he said? John 10.10, 10, I've come that you might have life and more abundantly. What? 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 Uh, you mean I don't have it? No. Not the kind of life that Jesus brings. I, I've come that you might have life. Jesus said, whoever believes in me has what? Eternal life. Does that mean just life forever? If that's life forever, then everybody's got it. Because everybody's going to live forever somewhere. Everybody's going to live forever somewhere. Eternal life isn't length. It isn't time. It's quality. It's a kind of... So, so if you look at this in the New Testament, and you, stay, you say, you know what? This, this issue of life is more central. This, this issue of life is what Jesus has come to... Remember, what did God say to Adam and Eve? What's going to happen when they eat the fruit? On the day they do that, what's going to happen? They're going to die. Huh. Now, they didn't drop dead right then, right? You know, it's like my dad used to say, if you ever do this, God will get you. I did it, and he didn't. <laughs> I thought, hmm, what else has my dad told me that isn't true? <laughs> you know, well, if you do that, God's going to get you. I... He didn't. Uh, but the idea of death, death isn't to cease to exist. Nobody believes that. Death is separation from the source of life. Go look at the prodigal son, John, Luke 15. When this son comes home, his dad says to his brother, hey, this son of mine who was in a far country has returned. He was lost and now he's found. What did he say? Go look at it. He said he was dead. But now he's alive. Isn't that interesting? That the prodigal son's father said, look, here, here's what happened to your brother. He left. He went away. He was lost, he's been found, but he was dead. Now he's alive. This idea of staying put in Jesus because he's the source of life to me is one of the forgotten huge themes and understandings of the Christian life. So what we've done, we've replaced it with that Jesus just came to forgive me. Now what? Now what? Or did he come to give me Life. That's why he said, you better stay put in me. I tell myself, I've said this before, I tell my students this, I'm, I'm getting all wound up. I'm actually getting ready to teach. You know, I've been off enough, I'm ready. I've got my whole, my stuff loaded up, ready to go. The Christian life is not difficult. It's impossible. Ephesians 2, you were dead in trespasses and sins. But because of His great mercy, He has made you alive. It's not difficult to be a Christian. 
it's impossible to be a Christian. You have to have, I have to have life. See, again, I know I'm back and forth, but I've been off a week and a half. So this, this reformulation of understanding to joy, we're not going to get to joy if we don't know where life is. You're not going to have Jesus' joy. I'm not going to have Jesus. If I think all Jesus is interested in is me not being bad. No, Jesus is interested in me having life. I said, you know, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. We've just reformulated it to the point that we think that all God is is some morality police that all he wants to do is watch us and tell us what we're doing wrong and what we're doing right. And he said, no, 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 I've got a bigger program than that. I've got life for you if you just take it. If you just come to the point of realizing you don't have this, you're not good enough, you can't try harder, this isn't going to work, it isn't difficult, it's impossible, I've come to bring you something you don't have. I told you in my own journey years and years ago when I was in seminary, I remember speaking to the Lord, I, I told a guy in my, our Bible study, that, you know, I'm not, I mean, you hear some people think, sound like, you know, God speaks to them all the time. He doesn't as far as I'm with me. But every time he said something, it's only been three words. <laughs> I don't know if that's the Trinity working. Or I'm not trying to be flipping here. But it's, it is. It's always three words. But I remember when I was in seminary. You know, I'm a, I'm a fairly motivated human being. And uh, if you tell me something can't be done, I will do it on purpose then. <laughs> Just to spite you. you know? And I remember at some point in my Christian life, learning some of these things about life. When John Wesley said his favorite definition was the life of God in the soul of man. That's what a Christian is. The life of God in the soul. That rattled me to my feet. That's what a Christian is. Somebody who has the life of God in the soul of a man. This isn't just religion or churchianity, man. This is some radical stuff. And I remember in that car where I was very dutifully doing my devotions. You know, you can't be a Christian if you don't do your devotions. I go to work at UPS at 2.30 in the morning, work, get done, eat lunch, or eat breakfast. It felt like lunch at 8. <laughs> eat breakfast, go to class work out uh, my uh, lessons, go to the library, study like crazy, go pick Becky up at the University of Kentucky, go home, uh, jog four miles while she cooked dinner, then I would eat dinner, and then I would work till 9 or 10 o'clock at night and get up and do that again. Just, I was worn out. And I finally said, Lord, wanted, but, you know, I did not miss having my devotions. I was pretty proud of that. You know, every day in my car, I would get away, and the glory would descend on that little Toyota Corolla. <laughs> and I'd have my devotions like a good Christian and a good seminarian. You know, come on. And I remember saying to the Lord one day, you know what? I don't think there's anybody in here but me. I don't think there's anybody in here but me. I, I'm, you know, you call me crazy, weird, whatever. And you probably do, but uh, somebody told me, was it D or somebody? Somebody said that the reason I was so, it, it takes me so long to teach is because I got to deal with all these six or eight people in here in my head. <laughs> takes me six hours. Oh, it was Alan. Alan. Yeah. And I said, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's anybody here but me. I heard this. I literally heard this. It was like an exhale. I think it may have been the Spirit. I heard it just, it's about time. I was 33 years old, been in the ministry for 12 years, been ordained for eight. I don't know what to make of it. But I think I just got to the point that I thought this isn't about being good or being bad or sin or like that. It's about life. Now, I've told you, but I'll, I'll just remind you just to verify this. It, it, it radically changed my life. 
Because I realize that what Jesus is up to is to bring me life. Not just micromanage my behavior. Uh, that happened in February. And I think at some point I was learning to stay put in Jesus. As my life. Not, not my micromanager. Not somebody trying to make me live right. But to give me life. I didn't say anything to anybody. Nothing happened. I didn't get more voices. I didn't start, you know, being nice. <laughs> That's what people always wonder about. Cliff, could you just be a little nicer? I say, well, I'll work on it. I didn't get real nice. I still became Cliff. I was still loud. I still had an opinion about everything. If you didn't believe it, just ask me. But in June, we're driving down the highway. Becky and I were taking a trip to Texas from Kentucky. And I always recommend anybody that anytime you ever have anything serious to talk about with your wife, always do it while you're driving the car because you don't have to look them in the eye. Just remember. Hey, honey, i got to keep my eyes on the road. But as we're driving down the road, I, I had not said anything to anyone. I had not said anything to Becky. I, I had not noticed any change. I mean, I, I was still going to UPS working, hating that job. You know, moving freight, screaming at people, singing all the Hank Williams Jr. songs I knew in the morning. <laughs> Becky said this to me. What happened to you in February? I said, what? What happened to you in February? I said, I don't, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I really did. I wasn't fooling around. I, she said, something around the middle of February, something happened to you. You're not the same person. And I said, oh, February. Hmm. I don't have any categories for this, Beck. There's nothing I can go to verse and chapter. I, I don't have any categories for this. None. You know, I grew up in a dream. There's second work of grace, third worker. I'm only about the 8,800th work of grace in my life. But I said, all I know is I came to the point where I realized that I didn't have life like I needed it. Now, again, I, you know, this is where the weirdness comes in. Well, a lot of ways, but I'd been in the ministry for about 12 years. I'd been ordained for about eight. I was on a biblical scholarship at Asbury Seminary on inductive Bible study. I was making good grades. I would not have been afraid for you to follow me around anywhere. I wasn't going to places I shouldn't go. I wasn't meeting with women I shouldn't meet with or people I shouldn't meet with. I, I, would, not, I would not have been afraid. You know, I'd let, I, helped lead my, I, helped, I led my supervisor at United Parcel Service to Christ. Boy, you don't think that's a miracle. Are there any Christians at UPS, Dave? I don't know. I don't know, Beck. All I know is I had to come to that understanding to abide in Jesus, to stay put, that I needed His life. I don't need His forgiveness only. I don't need His help. I don't need His guidance. I need Him. Let me read you a quote. There's a great book I just got at Glen Erie the other day. I, I want to recommend it to you. Uh, the first one is The Book Ends of the Christian Life. You need to read that. Uh, Susie's getting more in the bookstore. The Book Ends of the Christian Life. It's one of the finest books on the Christian life you'll ever read. And Jerry Bridges deals with this area about transformation life, The Book Ends of the Christian Life. Here, here's here's a, uh, what uh, Jan Johnson has written a book called Invitation to the Jesus Life. Invitation to the Jesus Life. Jan Johnson, she goes this, Jesus, I love, she said, Jesus does not offer some plan of salvation. I like that. Jesus does not offer some plan of salvation. Jesus offers himself as salvation. That's not a plan. Do these three things and you'll get saved. Jesus doesn't offer some plan that we got to nail down and we got to get this done and that done and this step and that step. Jesus offers Himself as salvation. 
That's why Paul would say, no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. So I, I want to just ask you a question. And, and there's another book you may want to read. I, I should sell these, shouldn't I? should be on a book. Maybe I could move to Colorado if I did that. Uh, there's another book called The Deeper Journey by Robert Mulholland. All of this, are, you know, re- remaining in Jesus as life. The Deeper Journey by Robert Mulholland. Bob, he was one of my professors at Asbury. Great guy. Just died in December. I want to give you a phrase to think about what this means to stay in Jesus, to stay here. I mean, we dealt with that. Now, this, I'm taking lots longer than I planned, but this is so important <clears throat> that we don't just blow this off and say, oh yeah, life. No, no. You and I will not have joy if we don't understand the, the instructions about where to find life. Bob uh, was one of my professors. He was a Naval Academy graduate, brilliant guy, Harvard uh, Divinity Wonderful, wonderful Christian. Bob said it comes down to this. As Christians, many of us are in the world for Christ. Think about that. We're we're in the world for Jesus. You know, that's why sometimes Christians are so mean. (laughs) We're going to stand up for Jesus. Okay, I get that. I understand that. But I want to offer you some alternative here. A lot of us think we're in the world. The world for Jesus. Bob said it this way. He thinks that we are in Christ for the world. Our identity is not that we're in the world for Christ. But we're in Christ for the world. I think that makes a big difference. Our primary identity... It's not that we're in the world, but well, we're standing up for Jesus. You know, I, I think it's okay to do that. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but I think it miscalibrates what is abiding of staying put of being in Jesus. Bob says it's we're in Christ for the world. Boy, it's a great book. I've I've known Bob for years. A wonderful guy. He's in heaven now. Staying put in the vine. Our, so, you know, is your primary identity that you're in the world? Okay, I'm in the world. I know, you know, I'm in the world, but not of the world. I'm in the world, but I'm, I'm standing for Jesus. Or are you really in Christ for the world? I think it makes a difference. That I know that my primary identity is that I am in Christ for the world. So here, here's a somewhat of a, I don't know. <clears throat> What if this week you evaluated whether you're in the world for Christ or in Christ for the world? Are you staying put? Is your life, is your identity, is your basis for living because you're in Christ? Because that's where life is. Life is found in Jesus. And that's our main problem. We don't have life and we're trying to find it everywhere else. Does that make sense? Let me, let me give you another one here then. <clears throat> Instructions about bearing fruit. Verse 8. My Father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Uh, <clears throat> here's, <clears throat> here's a... A thing I think about if we're going to get find joy, the instructions about bearing fruit. You know, I I, I was kept meditating on this, and I you can write out this to the side of that that uh, letter there. B the instructions is this. I think that Jesus is really trying to talk about an issue here, and you may say, "Well, Cliff, you're going. It's okay, but just just stay with me here." I think Jesus is really talking about an issue here about making a difference. The studies that I've read over the years suggest that when people retire or they get older, that one of the things that that is a, is a, a, a feature or calibration for a longer life is that they continue to have a purpose. There's some reason. It's not just retire and, whoo, boy, I'm not at the work. You know, I remember, I have a strong memory of my grandfather who was forced to retire. We called him Pop. He lived in East Texas, Rockwall County, in a little town in East Texas. And they made my grandfather retire. And I remember uh, all of my memories of him 
are him sitting in a, in a metal, I think we got that chair and brought it back after he died, a, a metal lawn chair. Remember those, how uncomfortable they were? They kind of bounced a little bit like that. It was a weird aqua kind of green. Remember those? Yeah, you had some, or your grandparents had those. Yeah, they were, re- and just really uncomfortable. But I remember my grandfather every day getting up and going to sit in that chair in the morning and just look. Look around. And then go and have lunch. And, and, and my most powerful members, he smoked. And I could always tell Pop was in the backyard. Dark as could be, that cigarette light up. When he'd put a draw on light up. My grandfather died shortly after that. What's the point? What's the purpose, you know? The, the, the whole idea of... Bearing fruit. Uh, This idea of having an outcome. He said, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. I spent a little too long on the first part, but uh, you know that. That's how it works. Bearing fruit. Uh, You know, our lives are meant to bear fruit, to produce, to be contributing, if you will, in a daily living. Not just to exist. So some, some have said, you know, before, it's not the duration of your life, it's the donation of your life that matters the most. Think about this. It's not the duration, how long you live. It's the donation of how you've lived. What, what is your life meant? As I get older, you know, that's, that's, those are the questions I'm asking. I'm not asking how big a house do we have or, you know, can I get Becky a new lawnmower? But... Uh, Hey, I've been, I've been mowing all summer. I just want everybody to know I've been mowing all summer. It's has my life mattered. You know, Jesus said, look, my father's glorified and you prove to be one of my disciples because you bear fruit. I, I thought about this, this idea that, that instructions, that if we're going to get to joy, it's because our life has an outcome or a, or a result that we can look back on and say, it mattered that I was here. And I, t- I, I met with a, one of our dear, dear uh, friends, uh, Gary Davis, who's been a, a Sunday school teacher here for years and kind of set the bar for a lot of us guys and, and uh, who actually is a lawyer, so he was for the bar. Okay, stop that. Uh, but uh, anyway, I went to see him the other day and just sat down and chatted with him. And we both said, you know, I'm 60, he's 80. Uh, and and, and uh, uh, we just said, how fast this life goes by. You know, it just seems like the other day I was 28 and Becky was begging me to marry her. And uh, <laughs> both of those were like, doesn't seem like yesterday I was 28. <laughs> and she wasn't begging me to marry her. But the, the idea of the donation of our life. You know, when I, when I started teaching 25 years ago, it was funny. I'll show you something here in a second, a picture. When I, when I started teaching 25 years ago, it was a pretty simple process. I remember walking in and telling them, okay, let's start class. And I just talked and just expressed to them my brilliance and understanding of life and reality. And of course, they're freshmen. They don't know any different. You know, I could tell them the moon is made out of blue cheese and they'd still believe me. You know, I mean, just, they're just young people. But I remember, just walk in and talk. And then something happened about 15 years ago with the Department of Education. They started saying, you got to prove those people know something. Man, that was hard. <laughs> Outcome-based education. Where I, listen, I, I know that I think it's a good thing. I think that when a student gets through with a class, you ought to be able to demonstrate they can do something. You know, not just take tests. And so I got introduced to this thing, and teachers know it's called Bloom's Taxonomy. And uh, I had to start deciding. You know what? My classes can't be just me coming and talking and spilling the beans. There's got to be an outcome here. There's got to be a result. Can a student actually do an inductive Bible study project? Can a student do an analysis on a case study and demonstrate that they have knowledge? I remember I had a student in a master's program I was teaching in at the university, and they failed the entire class. Failed the entire class. Uh, She wasn't happy. Because she made good grades on all of the, the exams, but when I gave them a case study at the end of the semester now to demonstrate that you know this information, she violated every principle in that class, in that case study. 
I kept saying, this is exactly opposite of what we said. Now, you know what? If she'd have taken a test, she could have lined up all the things of leadership. She could have given all the right answers, but she had never made it work in her life. That's what Bloom says here. here the, you know, because people can remember something. Whoops. Because people remember something doesn't mean they know it. You know, how many, like us when we were in college, how many could remember two days later after you crammed for the test? Not me. You know, I, I still remember, I, I tell my students, I try to teach them mnemonic devices. I, I learned a word in Greek uh, that I've never forgotten. Because I didn't remember it, I understood it and applied it. It's the word village, and I've hardly ever translated it. It's the Greek word kome. That's the word for village. Well, if you know me, you know I love mob movies. The mafia, the mob, you know. I don't, it's a, just some strange error in my character. So I thought, I'll never remember this word. I don't translate it very often. So I said, here's what I'll do. Hey, I'll remember this. Here's how I remember it. Hey, I know how to, hey, come to my village like an Italian Don. <laughs> come to my village. Yeah, okay. Hadn't forgot. I, I took Greek in 1976. You know what? I have students that I teach them that word. They've never taken a day of Greek. I come back a year later and say, what's the Greek word for village? Kome. Kome, right? <laughs> we got out of just remembering to understanding and applying and creating a way to remember it, right? Hey, Jesus said here, here's the outcome of your life, that you bear much fruit. It's not that you just exist. It's not that you just sit there as a vine or a branch. But that you bear much fruit. Now, there's a lot of questions about you know, what that might be. But I want to I try to press this a little bit here today. One of the things I did, there's someone in this class, I can't find right now. There's, there are people in this class who have a vineyard. And they came up to me the other day after I taught and said I was right. So, hallelujah. You know, you know what, what happens with vines... You know this. And what happens, I've got a tree like this I need to deal with. That after a vine or a tree or something has grown long enough, it begins to put on extraneous growth. And as that extraneous growth, particularly in vines with grapes, they have to go and cut them back. And it looks like they destroyed them. I mean, they cut them back way back. And when they do that, it's able to grow more. It's able, it's able to produce more. Because that extraneous growth, once those vines get so long, it takes all the energy, or the branches, all the energy of the vine to keep those things growing, and they don't have enough left to produce anything. You with me? Those vines, they get too long, they get too far out, and all the energy is to produce the health of that vine, and they don't have the energy or the sap or the strength to produce grapes. I've got a, I've got a pin oak like that. It, it needs to be cut back so that all of the energy isn't going to the outside, but it's going down there to that trunk. When Jesus said that you might bear much fruit, I don't know about you, but my life gets filled with things to where I've got all the sap in my life going to run in other things, sometimes instead of bearing fruit. Now, here's why I want to go with this a little bit. I'm busy. I got a job. I got friends. I got relationships. I got all that. And it's busy. And, I, and all the sap and energy in my life is getting out of those extraneous things. And I need to cut back to say, but Cliff, where are you bearing fruit? Now, fruit, obviously, in the New Testament at different times, is character. How's my life character? We talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Is, is my life just getting busy? Or is it productive? You ever feel that? I'm busy, but I don't know that I'm getting anything done. I've had to leave the office at times at the university because meetings and people and phone calls say, you know what, I'm just as busy as I can be, but I'm not productive. That happens, I think, in the Christian life. We can get busy with Bible studies and Sunday school and church, and we get busy, and yet we never back up and say, well, wait a minute, is, it, is my life being Productive. Little book, if you haven't read, you ought to read it called The Tyranny of the Urgent by Charles Hummel. The Tyranny of the Urgent. But people are busy. Maybe busier than we've ever been. But we're not that productive. 
I was uh, in Colorado Springs the other day and uh, taking a little time off. And we typically are often uh, go to this little place right by the Garden of the Gods called uh, Glen Erie. It's a great place. Oh, my goodness. It's like heaven on earth. Uh, and if you've heard of the Navigators, uh, you, you know something about this ministry that was started years ago by a guy named Dawson Trotman, who was a friend of Billy Graham. He actually did the follow-up for Billy Graham after their crusades. And in the 50s, they decided to sort of, not part company, but Graham was going to go more full tilt into a crusade. And Trotman said, no, no, I'm going I'm to really focus in on discipling and following people up. So they started the Navigators. Dawson started with five guys on the USS West Virginia. Five guys, when he lived in Long Beach, met five guys and helped lead five guys to Christ on the USS West Virginia. In fact, they said that that boat got the reputation of being a floating seminary because <laughs> of Dawson's influence leading the guys to Christ and meeting with them once a week and working with them and discipling them and spending time with them. It's kind of interesting because now the navigators have 3,800 people working around the world in 160 or 100 different nations in 160 languages. Because Dawes said, here's the, here's the question I want to press you with here in a little bit. This bearing of fruit, not only the character of our life, I want us to do that, but how about the results of our life? Here's what Dawes they called him Dawes, D-A-W-S, uh, Dawes. They, they called him this, and he said this. He asked every person he ever met who was a follower of Jesus, where's your man? He meant, he was talking to a bunch of guys in the Navy, okay? Where's the guy that you're pouring your life into, and it's bearing fruit as you pour your life into him? Jim Downing, who's 103 years old now. I met him last year at, at Glen Erie. He's one of the original navigators. Jim tells the story when they were running around with Dawes that they were in New York and doing some stuff, working in the ministry, and uh, Jim met an old friend uh, that asked him, so, hey, what are you doing now? Well, he said, I'm working with this organization. And he said, uh, what are you? So I'm a navigator. Trotman's standing right there. Let him talk. They left. He said, Jim, you're not a navigator. You work for this company, but you're not a navigator. He said, what do you mean? He said, where's your man? I'm going to ask you to think about that. You know what? Jesus said, if we bear much fruit, we prove to be his disciples. And what I've noticed over the years in my own life is I get busy and the vine or the branch, I'm a branch, I start getting out this way in so many different directions that all the sap and energy in my life is used to sustain the activities and the things that I'm doing. I, I, I kind of taught myself under conviction years ago about this. It's one of the reasons Chris and I got together. I said, you know what? I'm going to pour my life into somebody. I'm going to give my life and spend time and teach them everything that I know. He, he, you know, I could do that in four minutes. <laughs> Is your life, is my life bearing fruit? One is our character. The fruit of the Spirit is, is that happening? He said, if, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. And my Father is glorified in this. Are we bearing fruit? Is our life being transformed? You know, there's a lot of research coming out about Christians and Christian churches and like that. And they say there's a lot of emphasis on information and not very much emphasis on transformation. People know a lot, but it doesn't seem to find a way to transform our values and our lives. So where's your man? Who's your man? Now, I put this, I'd say this, I'd say to Becky, you know, sometimes we make this too big and too difficult. But I, you know, I, I've said this, and I mean, I hope that when I die, which is down the road a little ways, I hope there are ten guys that I've poured my life into. That I'll know I poured my life. You know why? Because at my funeral, they won't look at their watch. I just want ten. I got about five. 
I want 10 guys that I've poured my life into that at my funeral, they don't wonder about what time is it. They don't look at their watch because I've poured my life into them. I tell you, I'm going back to school this semester with a brand new motivation to win some young men to Jesus. I'm not going to hang around anymore and just kind of walk the halls. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get after it. I'm not going to be rude. I'm not, hey, if you were to die tonight, you know he'd go to heaven. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to try to get after him. It's going to say, you know what? Jesus has got something for you that if you miss, you're going to miss the greatest thing ever. It's called life. You know what? Your man, I, 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 I'm sorry to say that, but that's how Dawson said it. This was 1954, okay? So there were no women in ministry. <laughs> that's not true. But not in the navigators. Ladies, who's your woman? Hey, mom, dad, maybe this should be who's your kid? Are you, are you pouring your life into your kids? I mean, disciple them. I don't mean be nice, be good, go to church. I'm talking about here's what mom, here's what dad knows about following Jesus. We don't know everything, but here's what I know. And here's what I know works. Or who's your grandkid? I, this doesn't have to be some crazy thing where, you know, we're going to walk out and going to go to Quail Springs today and start grabbing people and say, hey, would you like to follow Jesus? You know, nobody's going to do that except a couple of crazy people in here. <laughs> you know, I, when I was a pastor, I mean, there are people in the church that have the gift of evangelists. My dad did. He could lead a fire hydrant to the Lord. But most of us can't. We don't have those gifts. But you know what? we got people in our lives, children, grandchildren, friends, people at work, people in our neighborhood. i got a guy in my neighborhood I'm going after. Again, I'm not, tr I'm, you know, I'm not trying to be, you know, used to be kind of like, how many times did you witness this week? I'm not trying to do that. i got a buddy in Florida that says this. Instead of asking that question, ask this question. How were you salty this week? Remember, Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. How salty was I this week? You, you know what that means? How did I, I don't want to use the word create, because it's not, how did I participate in causing people to have interest in Jesus? If we're the salt, how can we make people thirsty for the water of life? The question is how many times I witness, you know, because listen, I've known guys at work that they witnessed and people said, man, if that's a Christian, I don't want anything to do with that, right? They were mouthy, loud, arrogant, pushy, all that kind of, no, don't ask that. Ask the question, how have I been salty this week? Who's your man? Now, here, here's a great thing we'll shut up. I'll shut her. This is the thing the navigators use for a long time. A lot of us have prayer down. Some, I mean, I don't. I told my Bible study the other day, that's a, still the biggest area of my life I'm working on. And the Word. And fellowship. But for this wheel to have that spoke, we need this. And I'm not, I'm, when they use the word witnessing, I'm talking about witnessing to what Jesus has done in my life. I'm not talking about grabbing people. I'm not talking about that you've got a certain number of people you've got to talk to. I'm just going to keep asking you. Who's your man? I told Becky yesterday, I said, I got one question to ask this entire lesson. It's, 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 just, it's just reverberating in me. Who's your man? You're busy, but you're not productive. You're, 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 you're going all the time, but there's no fruit. Jesus said, if you bear fruit, you're going to glorify my Father. And you're going to prove, notice what he says, you're my disciple. Isn't that interesting? Proof. Fruit, the result, not a confession only. You know. First John, if you're interested in that, you know, First John has a little uh, kind of a routine goes through. He says, if we say that we know him, but we do this, we're a liar. It's kind of interesting. Confession 
isn't all the New Testament knows about. It knows about action, if we say, but we don't. So here's the question I told you I'd ask you. What fruit in your life is bringing glory to God? Is it, your, is it your character? Is it who you're becoming? Dallas Willard always said, it's not so much what you do, it's who are you becoming? Who, are you, who am I becoming? Am I becoming more patient, more kind, you know, fruits of the Spirit, loving, joyful? Are, you know, is that, and can you answer the question? Where's your man? Wouldn't it be awesome if this week all of us would begin to pray Okay, God, who's my man? Guys with guys, girls with girls. <laughs> you know, that's the way that works. Too much transference, other kind of stuff. You want to talk to me about that? I'll tell you what that means. <laughs> who's your man? Are you and I investing our lives? Or are we just spending them? You know, there's a difference, right? You can spend your money or you can invest it. We can spend our lives, or we can invest them. And you know what? I know a bunch of you in here doing that. I, I, I see people in this room right now. I, man, they are investing their lives. Randy Upchurch has been driving me crazy about a small group we want to get started on the north side, right? I'm trying to give you a commercial here. Some guys to meet at Uptown Grocery at 7 o'clock on Friday morning. <laughs> That's pretty good, isn't it? Some guys... To say, hey, and you know what? Other guys have come to me and said, Cliff, I want to find a place like that. I, I need some guys like that. Listen, we got to do a better job at this. Ladies, I don't know how, you know, ladies seem to get easier together, you know, because guys are, you know, we, when we hug each other, we pat each other on the back real hard to make sure people think we don't enjoy this. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, man, it's great. You know, right? And yeah, we don't want people to think we're enjoying this. But we have to do a better job. And I'm telling you, I don't care how much you think you don't know, you still know more than somebody else. You've had experiences, you've had things happen to you that you could say, let me tell you how this worked for me. So I'm going to keep asking you, who's your man? Who's your woman? And for some of you, again, it's your kids. You, you need to dial that in. Or it's your grandkids. But if we want to make it to joy, we've got to know where life comes from. And we've got to understand how to bear fruit that brings glory to God. You'll never have joy if you miss this. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we all want your joy. Well, we, we, we and in this day and time, we need it like we've never needed it before. So we ask you in the name of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we might be people who are characterized by life. The life Jesus, that you give, and that we might bring glory and honor to you, our Father, through bearing much fruit and proving that we're your disciples. Guard us from trying to do this in our own strength. Again, keep us back where life is. Let us live this week just asking the question, how can I be salty? And help us find our man. Help us find that person that we can invest our lives in. We pray this in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen.